Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. Welcome to another edition of the Media Insider Podcast. This month, I'm joined by Kate Sevier. She's a journalist and author and has led editorial teams for some of the world's largest media companies. She was the founder of Bitch Buzz, an online women's mag, was a founding member of BuzzFeed UK, helping to grow it here as managing editor. She was also editor-in-chief of The Pool and has worked for many more well-known digital sites such as MSN and Vice. She's now working on several branded content projects in a commission role, which we're going to talk about later. That's uh, going to be very interesting from a PR perspective. Uh, Kate, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us um, about when you were in a commissioning role at some of these publications. Can you just give us a top line interview? What sort of things you commissioned for in terms of formats? Like, was it interviews? Was it opinion pieces? Was it news? Does it all fall into one or are you did you just specifically commission one type of story yeah so I think um what was great is in the roles that I did a lot of commissioning in it was quite broad um I did a lot so there wasn't like just like a specific section or page that I was commissioning for so um, most recently um, I was at the pool so I was editor-in-chief there for a brief moment in time before it went under so sad that that closed I know, yeah, especially now with specifically women's publications closing. It's a, it's a real shame. But yeah, so I would kind of commission, I would work closely with like our news editor um, and our fashion editor, and we would kind of take an overall view of, okay, what's going on? What's happening this week and next week? What kind of big kind of cultural moments are happening? And then kind of like on a more daily basis, it was like, okay, we have this coming in. We have the newsletter to commission for. Um, this breaking news thing just happened. What's our angle in it? Because we weren't a breaking news site. But of course, um, we had really fantastic columnists like um, Daisy Buchanan and Sally Hughes who would bring um, brilliant um, insight and commentary to things that were mm-hmm. happening. And then I did more niche things. Like when I worked um, at Google, I worked, um, so their app is called Google Arts and Culture. Um, where we would kind of help digitize and bring to life stories from uh, museums and cultural institutions. So I would do, I would work across uh, many different uh, markets. Um, So one day I might be trying to find a poet to write about the impact that Frida Kahlo has had on poetry, Um, or I might be speaking to somebody um, who's a fashion historian like Amber Butchart and uh, commissioning her to kind of write about the history of fashion in a certain country. Um, So (laughs) I think having that sort of broad experience has really kind of helped. I'm not really intimidated when I need to commission a story about a specific topic, even if I'm not an expert in it. My job isn't to be the expert in it. It's to kind of know what the story is, do some research, find who the best people are to tell those stories. And you can apply your kind of editorial expertise and storytelling to anything. Um, You just need to find the right writer. (laughs) Yes, yes. Now, can you talk about 
Just broadly speaking, how the commissioning process works. I know you've worked on so many titles, so this is kind of a difficult question, but you've predominantly worked on digital titles, so BuzzFeed, MSN, The Pool. Is there a sort of a set system that digital titles work on? And can you talk through that, you know, roughly saying what is the planning process and how is it all put together? Yeah, I think um, what's so interesting is because you're right, I've only ever worked for either the online version of a a print publication or purely digital publications like BuzzFeed, like The Pool. Uh, What's interesting is I I feel like print commissioning is still like this other world, even though I've literally done that as a writer, uh, as a commissioning editor, I still feel like there's maybe like a more old school ingrained process that the editors go through. And there's like this like magic system that I'm just not privy to that I just don't know. So I feel like my experience is just like completely different when probably in reality, it's not. But for me, it's always and for all the publication, the digital publications that I've commissioned for it, I mean, there's no long lead times, really, especially when I would join a publication as editor for the first time, I'd be like, we're going to be organized. We're going to know what's going to be happening month to month. <laughs> in broad strokes, you do, but it's everything changes. I mean, because you, really your kind of signals are social media, right? So what are people talking about? What's trending? What's happening? Um, and that changes on the hour. Um, so it can be really hard to kind of uh, have a, a lot of forward planning. You should still have some, but a lot of it, like at the pool, we would commission you know, so if if we could give somebody more than a day's notice to write something, I think that that was uh, pretty rare. There were a lot really? of really responsive writers that we would email 845, 9 o'clock in the morning. And people listening to this will probably be like, mm, it was more like 10 or 1030. Um, but we would email people first thing in the morning like, hey, can you write us a story about this thing? Somebody said this. And can you write about the ways that that affects the whatever community? And then they would turn it around in a matter of hours. Um, so yeah. I've, I've worked places like that where it's very kind of like news-based, in the moment, on the day, waiting to get a commission. And um, there's other places where, uh, like with BuzzFeed, where if we were working like on the kind of entertainment sections, the funny stuff. Um, I hate the word listicles, but the listicles where you would have a much longer lead time and you could be like, cool, we want this thing in two weeks time or in a week's time. Um, I think a lot of digital journalists are used to having a really quick turnaround. And there are so many brilliant writers and journalists who can just turn things around in a matter of hours and are just kind of always on call and ready to respond to a request from an editor or they themselves are monitoring what's happening online and can go, oh, I think this would be brilliant for Stylist or this would be brilliant for Refinery29. Yeah, I think this is why I uh, never quite um, made a success out of being a freelance journalist because I'm never online until 10 o'clock. And I also only check emails like three or four times a day because I'm just I'm more of a deep worker rather than being online. So that's probably why journalism wasn't my destined career. (laughs) Anyway, is it a constant stream of commissioning or in a digital title or is it that you commission so many you know do you commission everything in the morning and then just like work on it all in the afternoon or is it a people pitching you stories throughout the day and you're commissioning stuff throughout the day um I think it, it really depends on the the nature of the publication but I think for the most part when I was working at pure publications so not just at like the like the content team in a, in a wider tech company, like I was doing for Google. I think if you're in a, in a newsroom um, and a, in a you know, digital publication, I think for the most part, there's always a combination of longer lead stuff, 
back when people had money and they cared about long reads and you were lucky enough to be able to hire a long reads editor, of course, they would be working to much longer lead times and doing a lot more forward planning. But you, you, know, you would have a combination. The news team would be doing commissioning things on the day or for the next day or at night for the next morning um, in tandem with the lifestyle teams and the entertainment teams and the culture teams that would be doing something also reactive, but being able to they have the luxury of time more than you do on an, in a newsroom, essentially. Both things. You're always planning and commissioning on the fly at the same time and also people pitching to you. And I think that that's um, the reality of that that nature of you know planning and then having things happen really quickly and then having inward bound pitches coming as well uh, i think that's the reality as to why perhaps editors are so bad at <laughs> getting back to people um let's talk a little bit about this uh, about pitching in these roles you must have got pitched to a lot so how did you sift through it all and what would catch your attention? I think um, from a commissioning standpoint, I think PR is another thing, but from pitches from freelance writers, um, it was it was really difficult. It was, it was overwhelming, um, but wonderful because when you have a publication that people want to write for, um, particularly if you have a reputation for um, paying well, paying well and paying on time, two different things, um, unfortunately. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I think any any editor is in a blessed position if you do have a busy inbox and people wanting to be a part and write for um, your publication and, and put their name to something. The things that would always stand out are, has this person, have they read the website before? Do they know what, what we're about, the kinds of angles that we take, the kind of tone of voice, um, the stories that we actually cover, if it's more of a feminist leaning uh, publication and you're pitching something about um, detox juices, this probably isn't uh, the best fit. Um, so I think kind of it's, it becomes immediately clear if somebody isn't actually really familiar with the core of the content um, that you normally produce. Um, also really long emails. Yeah, I think instinctively both actually with both PR and, and uh, people pitching stories, it's is it brief? Is it to the point? Do they know the content of the of the website or the publication? Because I, I personally don't think it is that mystifying to figure out what a kind of the editorial line of a publication is. But it seems to elude so many yeah. people in both PR and freelance writers sometimes. Yeah. Was there often like a quota on these on, you know, on online publications, like so many interviews or so many listicles or, you know, and would there be certain slots to fill or was it a bit more fluid than that? Yeah. So at at the pool, it was different because they um, it was called the wheel. And I think the kind of unique selling point for the pool for a long time was that it kind of had this appointment digital model where at every day at the exact same time, they would post um, a fashion story or uh, a column or a recipe or a video interview. And there was this very kind of rigid schedule that they adhered to, which I don't know if that was necessarily apparent from a, a reader's perspective, but that very much was like the DNA. So it was like, we have to commission for this newsletter. This We know that these stories are coming up later in the week. Uh, we have to fill these spots. And it was very like slot-based kind of thinking, much as you probably would if you were working for um, broadcast or a print um, publication. Um, somewhere like BuzzFeed, it was much more numbers-based. And that was like page views, shares, uniques. 
that's what we cared about. And we knew which ways to achieve that. And in the early days there, it was very much just like, cool, this ridiculous list went viral last week. What else can we do like that? And it was actually quite scientific in the way that they would mm. um, find different like working formulas between um, headlines and formats and lengths and even like odd numbers work better than even numbers and and things like that. Yeah, really? it really was the most kind of advanced um, data team and CMS that I had ever worked with. And to this day, they're, they're bespoke um, CMS that they built. The dashboard that they had for their writers is still by far the most advanced that I've ever seen. Um, and it made it a lot easier because you would get the kind of analytics and the numbers that you needed to achieve those numbers. So it was less less based on, um, we need to commission X amount of stories. Because if, if your goal, your KPI or your whatever is, we need to hit 20 million unique visits this month, being like, okay, well, we need to get a column and we need to get this news story. Like, that's not how you get there, right? Um, but then when the the values of a company changed, so as people saw with BuzzFeed, they did a massive shift into news, um, then you have those two things at odds because news doesn't necessarily bring in massive views, but if this is the kind of branding that you're going for and you want to get scoops and break news and that's, you have to be kind of willing internally to make that shift. Going back to the, uh, the pitching side, like what is the most typical way that pitch from a, a PR or a member of the public can materialize into coverage? Yeah, I think it, it really kind of comes down to is this obviously a good fit? Like, you know what I mean? Like if this is like a completely left field thing and you're asking them to cover a kind of product that they never cover or you're a member of the public and you're like, hey, I found this thing on a Facebook or we would get this kind of thing sometimes. Uh, this girl got sent home for her shorts being too short and this Facebook group is outraged about it. Like unless you like you have seen similar things written about on that publication you know, you're probably not going to get it covered. It's, can you see that this is something that they would actually cover? I think that's really what it comes down to. It's like, I was thinking about this earlier. I'm like, what, how do people get coverage? And I'm like, as an editor just or a writer, staff writer, and you're sat at your desk and you get all these inbox, your inbox is just full and you get all these press releases. And then like you look and it's always the thing that you go, oh, thank God. Yes, this is actually something so much of your time is spent going, why did I get sent this? Like, what mm -hmm. has nothing to do with anything? But when you finally get something that's like, oh, an interview opportunity with a, you know, a film star that people actually are interested in, <laughs> wonderful. Or, oh, here's this actually helpful product because I asked for this very specific types of products. And so often you'll get emails that'll be like, I know you asked for sun cream, but I just want to tell you about this toe fungal treatment because I think it might be great for your reader. <laughs> There's so many things like that. You're like, no, that's not Yeah, that's not what it is. Um, and I know that PRs have such a difficult job and journalists are just such pains to work with. I know this. So it goes both ways. But I think from both a writing perspective when it comes to pitching and from PRs or just a member of the public that thinks that they have an interesting story, like you kind of have to show that it makes sense and is like things that they've covered in the past. And if it's not that, there has to be like a good kind of reason why you think that they would be interested in it. Often people don't know who to pitch. Do they pitch to a commissioning editor or do they pitch to the journalists themselves? Did you often find that there was a bit of uh, confusion about that as well? Yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot of confusion around that. I think 
but I don't feel like it's that much of a mystery because if you go to a print magazine and you kind of search for, you know, the masthead or whatever it's called and where they have all the different people who this person is the, you know, intern, this is the editor in chief, this is the managing editor, this is the commissioning editor. And like Stylist Magazine for the longest time at the top would be like, emails are first name dot last name at stylist.co.uk. And they'd put like a really nice, you would be able to see who the commissioning editor is or who the fashion editor is. If you're pitching a fashion story and you don't see a fashion-specific commissioning editor, send it to the fashion editor or send it to their deputy. I, I think especially with like internet publication, internet, I'm so old, internet publications, digital publications, like mm-hmm. you can stalk as to your plea. Like I, whenever I would want to pitch something, I would always like just stalk the person. What kinds of things do they ask for? Because lots of lots of editors, especially like the HuffPo editors will always be like, hey, we're looking for stories of this. And, like you can find all that information out, I think. Now, lately you've been, you've moved away from commissioning on well-known titles and you've worked on a lot of commercial projects and branded content, as many people know it as. And this is like a new breed of journalism and it is really growing, isn't it? So how does branded content differ from normal content in terms of how it's put together and how it's commissioned for? Yeah, I think, um, it is really interesting, and it's like the the project that I'm working on at Refinery29, I've, I've learned a lot because I, I've essentially kind of gone to the other side, as it were. And while before I thought I really understood the kind of commercial teams and the sales teams and what it was they did and why they were always frustrated with, with the editorial side, being on the other side, I'm like, oh, I understand. Um, it's basically like working in an agency. Um, and as far as the commissioning goes, the process it's really not that different. So I'm kind of in a bizarro world where I'm like the editorial lead or director, expert, whatever on this project. And I'm kind of essentially functioning like I would on an editorial team, but, you know, without the actual editorial team, but I'm still commissioning, um, still coming up with content strategies and deciding what it is that that we actually want to do. And what does this project look like? And what are the kind of like content pillars and which stories are we doing and still working on like headline optimization and all that good stuff. Um, but process wise, it's really just kind of adding in a couple of other steps where it's like, and a lot of the the heavy lifting is, is on me because I have to keep our client happy. I have to come up with the ideas, um, the strategy presented to them, get sign off. And then I go, okay, cool. Who are we going to get to write this? And then you reach out to them. And then it's kind of up to them to then kind of, from their kind of value standpoint, be like, okay, is this the kind of project that I want my name against? Are these the kind of clients that I actually want to work with? And it's different. And I think kind of better in the sense because there's guaranteed budget for it. Yeah, It's not just you're getting kind of put into this pot of, yep, this is our commissioning budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit more like, at least from my standpoint, when I'm commissioning for it, I think I might, it might just be... um a hangover from the financial disaster of the pool and commissioning. But like, I feel better knowing like for sure (laughs) there is budget to pay this person that, and that every single person that's involved is getting paid um, because it is a commercial project. So the budget comes from a client. So a client funds the production of a supplement or a publication. Are there still PR opportunities or, or does the client who's funding the publication decide who gets quoted and what companies might be mentioned in there? Yeah, it's really specific. I think I've been really lucky because the client that we're working with has given us loads of of editorial and creative freedom. Um, I know from 
working other places helping with some of the branded content, it would be much more specific. It'd be like, we want this influencer to write about why they love this bracelet so much. And for me, what I'm doing at the moment, it's not product-based at all. It's much more values-based, values, values based, mission-based. So I don't have to be like, hi, can you please talk about why this water bottle has changed your life? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll pay you. It's fine. Like there's none of that, thankfully. Um, but it, it is very much like people need to, like it's it's kind of my job to kind of do all the heavy lifting with the client, make sure that they are on board with what the story is, who we're going to be commissioning and featuring in the story. And it's up, like, it depends on the client. Some clients are like, nope, we want to work with this person and this person and not that person. And they have to talk about this in this way. Are there still opportunities for, say, people to pitch op-eds into that or for press releases to go into that or for people to be quoted? Or is it just very much what the client decides? Yeah, I think, I think it would be really difficult for any PR to pitch for, well, I think for branded content overall, if, if, I mean, if they were like, Hey, we want to, we want to pay for you to write about this thing. I think that's, that's more of like a sales pitch relationship kind of thing, because you wouldn't necessarily, like the projects that I work on, you wouldn't, they wouldn't know about it um, because it hasn't been uh, PR'd yet. <laughs> so they wouldn't know like, Oh, Hey, can yeah. you pitch to this thing? And especially if it's being led by a brand and it's a partnership between this publication and this brand, they probably don't have an end to that anyway. Um, so not really. Um, but what's nice is that I'm, I'm able to kind of go into these places on commercial projects. So I've done, um, coincidentally like two now for vice. I worked with changing before kind of working in the capacity of, um, of a commissioning editor, and I've just been able to go, cool, who do I want to write this thing? And that's and that's been a really nice thing to be like, I have I have budget and I can I can work with some of the writers that I like to write with. They can get a byline and they can get paid. Yeah. That's what that's what yeah. I like. I like being able to pass on work to uh to other people. Then that that's like I think one of the nicest things about um the kind of consultancy work that I've done is just being able to go. Oh, I love working with this person. We'll get this person to write this thing. Or they're great at interviewing. We'll get them involved. Yeah, that is that is nice. Um, just yeah. finally, have you are there any trends you've observed in your capacity of writer, commissioner, consultant in the way that in where the media is going or the way that journalists work? I the main trend that I have noticed is that freelance writers are fed up, <laughs> which. I do not blame them at all. I think one of the biggest trends I think I've seen is this kind of growing frustration with the rigidity and the kind of uncommunicative nature of a lot of editors and people are not being quiet. It's like what would happen with us at, at the pool. Very rightly, we were called out over and over and over again. I was called out over and over and over again because people weren't getting paid. Mm. Um Thankfully, I was not getting called out over and over again for not being kind to people or not communicating well with people. The money thing was not in my control. But I think it's a good thing that freelancers are able to connect with each other on social media. Um, you have some some really amazing freelance writing communities now, and people are being so transparent. And I'm so frustrated. I will have to like message you 
the name of her. I'm so sorry. It's Anna and I can never remember her last name, but she's putting together this amazing spreadsheet where freelance writers are anonymously being transparent about how much they've been paid by certain publications and certain um, commissions that they've had to help create better transparency. Um, Yeah, it's great. And it, um, it makes so much sense really, because if you think about it, you have this whole workforce that are not treated as they should be um, and not paid as they should be. Yeah. That's why I left journalism. Right. Like it's, it's extremely frustrating. I do not, I blew my mind when I had my fence fixed and the guy was like, he sent me his invoice and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you. And a couple of days went by and then he's like, no, I need to be paid now. In my (laughs) head, it was, oh no, I have 30 days to pay you. But it's not. Everyone else in the world gets paid immediately when they invoice you. I felt so dumb. I was like, how did I not know that literally everyone else gets paid? It's just Mm -hmm. in this industry that they're like, oh, 90 days. Sorry. Um, So, yeah. So I think the main trend is that uh, freelance writers are fighting back, fighting back and expecting more from from managers and, and editors. And maybe writers need to stop writing things for free because there are many. Right. There, I think they're writing things for free has a time and a place and it depends on what it is. So like when I ran Bitch Buzz, I didn't pay any of my writers, but I also wasn't getting paid. You made very minimal money from advertising. And it was very clear, like, if you want to write for this, it's because you want to write for this and because it can help you get opportunities elsewhere. And we didn't treat people like crap. Like it was very upfront. If any freebies you get from PR, if you get to go on a trust press trip or anything like that wonderful but because we're not making money like there's no way I could pay you I'd be paying you like a tenner for an article Mm. and because of that transparency and because this was 2008 like the feeling around it was much different and it did help people go on to get really amazing fantastic jobs but asking people to write for nothing not paying them on time is not okay and but I think equally there also has to be an understanding and just more communication from what is expected of freelance writers as well. Because it's not that every freelance writer is great and handle the, handles themselves professionally and is responsive and gets back to people. So it's a two-way street. And I think that that's an uncomfortable thing that people don't like to talk about either. And Kate, just before I let you go, I've got to ask you about your book that's uh, that you're writing or, or, or have written that's out uh, in January 2021. Uh, what's it called and what's it about? So my book is called How to Work Without Losing Your Mind. And it is out in January 2021, um, published by Penguin Business. And it is basically about how to survive work and how to look after yourself at work. Um, I had a lot of really kind of stressful, traumatic experiences um, in my career. And what I realized in myself is that, yes, you can have a terrible manager. Yes, you can have a terrible colleague. Yes, this whole thing can feel terrible. But there's, there's only so much that you can control and what can you kind of control on the inside? What can you kind of work on in yourself and understand about yourself and the way you work and what you want for your work? Um, And then, then there's all that other stuff that kind of goes on with your boss. So it's kind of like this meeting halfway of, okay, what is my stuff? What is their stuff? And what can I do about it? And maybe it's that there's nothing I can do about it and I need to go and get another job. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I, I hope that it's helpful and, and a, a practical guide. Kate, Sophia, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching.